It is a joy to be with you today. I'm always thankful for the opportunity to stop in and see so many familiar faces and thank people who have supported me and my family and uh, our Summit Church family. Um, I know you might know that it's always good, I think, to remind you. Um, fellowship Greenville is a fellowship of encouragement to so many pastors um, locally as well as nationally and, and internationally and I and the Summit crew are beneficial recipients of all that kindness and generosity, those prayers and uh, that encouragement. So when given the opportunity to drop in and teach on a Sunday morning, I'm always for it if it works with the schedule and it worked with the schedule today. So it is an honor to, to be with you. I know I made uh, hit some of the highlights there, uh, shared some of the fun things, but I also just wanna stop for a minute. I think we can all acknowledge 2020 was crazy hard for a lot of us. Uh, for most of us, it's interesting. I see people post different things on social media talking about a, a specific group of people and how they're serving and how it's been a really hard year. And what's interesting, like it's kind of like true for everybody, yeah? Like as a pastor, I didn't, when I was in school studying to be a pastor, they didn't give me a class on pastoring through a global pandemic. I don't know if you know that or not. Like it wasn't one of the options. My wife's a school teacher and I've watched what she had to do last spring and what she's had to do this year, incredibly hard. Nurses and doctors and frontline workers, unbelievably difficult. But at the same time, I acknowledge there's some grandparents who just wanna see their grandkids and it's hard. Like it's just, it's hard for everybody. It's been a very, very difficult year. And, and one of the things I wanted to do in being here today is maybe offer, if I could, a little uh, practical, biblical encouragement on navigating the hardships and the difficulties of life. Uh, especially what we're coming out of, and who knows what 2021 holds, and the Lord does, but we don't, and so how do we navigate that well? When I'm here, I usually take the opportunity um, to encourage y'all with something from the scripture that, that we've uh, also been encouraging the Summit family with, and today's no different. Much like fellowship, uh, we're usually teaching through a, a book of the Bible, and in the fall of uh, 2020, we started studying through the letter of James, and we're still in it. We're still processing through that. It's been so um, timely for us. Uh, a, a lot of people uh, love the book of James because to them it seems incredibly practical to the everydayness of life as a follower of Jesus. And I agree that there are many things that James covers um, that are applicable to our lives. But before we jump in this morning, here's what, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter one. That's where we're gonna be. <clears throat> we're gonna be in James one. Uh, but lest we forget the circumstances that surround this letter being sent to the followers of Jesus that originally received it, I don't have the opportunity this morning to teach through the whole letter. I don't have this morning to teach through all of James 1. I'm gonna be in James 1, 19 through 21, but I wanna kind of set up that a little bit, a little context. I always think that's really important. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to Jewish Christians that have been scattered around the Mediterranean world uh, because of persecution. As in, let's not rush past this, they love and follow Jesus and they have had to move themselves and their families to new places for safety. And as you can imagine, were this you and your family, they're walking through hard and difficult times. Trials and suffering and hardships are not hypothetical for them. And before we get to what I'm reading and studying with you all today, James says these words, they tie into what we're talking about today. And so I wanna read them to you. He says this in James one, verse two. He says, count it 
uh, all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. The reason I wanted to read those verses before we get into the other verses today is because these <clears throat> these aren't simply words to save up for a rainy day when James is writing these Jewish Christians. These aren't, hey, file these away for when it kind of stinks. These are applicable words to them in the moment because of what they face. And in the midst of their trials, temptations are plentiful, which is often the case when suffering seems constant, yes? The things of this world dangle in front of them promising they will satisfy their pain and take away their suffering. And they need wisdom to navigate all of that. How do we navigate life in the midst of trials, temptations, everything just right in front of us? Now, some of what I'm talking about this morning is setting this up. Some of this you can't relate to, as in I'm not aware of many of you in this room that have arrived from a foreign land because of persecution for following Jesus, right? I mean, it is true for some listening today it's still happening, that's still definitely happening across the globe, but for most of us in this room, that's not our stories. What is a part of most of our stories is that we have walked, we are walking, we will walk through hard and difficult days. Trials and suffering are a part of our story. Hardship, pain, it's a part of the story of grace, actually, that God's writing in your life and my life. A theology of suffering is imperative to navigate suffering well. One of the things I've always encouraged our folks with Summit about is everyone eventually ends up with a theology of suffering, everybody. The question is, have you thought well about your theology of suffering before the suffering? Here's also what's a part of our stories. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, temptations are plentiful. Much like these early Christ followers that James is writing, the things of this world dangle in front of us, promising us they will satisfy our pain and ease our suffering. It's no different, but they won't. They never have, no matter how many times you've given in to them, they won't and they haven't because they, they can't. And just like these early Christians that James is addressing, we, we as followers of Jesus need wisdom to navigate it all. And one of the things I do love about James is he gives some very practical, sound advice for navigating difficult days, trials, and suffering with the temptations that this world offers dangling in front of us. He lays out practical, sound advice. And I don't know about you, as I'm thinking about going into 2021, I'm going, I need that, I'd like that. And that may be some of you, yeah, that sounds really good. Let's do that, let's talk about that. Because this is a reality for so many of us in the room, yeah? I wanna let you, before I read the verses, uh, I wanna let you in on a little something. As someone who teaches regularly <clears throat> and writes sermons, sometimes as a pastor, we're in a passage and we're studying it and we're preparing to teach it. And we as pastors, like we really find ourselves struggling with um, what we call like the practical application of a text. 
Like, how do I make this make sense for those that I'm teaching today? You probably don't think anything about it because guys like Charlie and Jim and Matt, they do a fantastic job of working it all out. You don't know how they were trying to process it all week. They stand up and they teach it. You're thankful for it. But some weeks, it's just really difficult. And then some weeks, we get to read verses like we're reading today. Let me read James 1, starting in verse 19 through 21 over you. And I think you'll understand what I'm saying. This is what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't this great? Right? Like not one person in here, as I was just reading through those verses, thought, I don't get it, <laughs> right? Like there wasn't one person as I was reading through, I don't think, there wasn't one person as I was reading through that that thought, doesn't apply to me. Really wish Jimmy was here, he could hear this, right? Here's just what's interesting though, it's not just practical for us, it's practical for those who are receiving this letter as James wrote it to them. It's practical application for them in regards to applying wisdom in the midst of difficulties and trials and suffering. I mean, James has mentioned wisdom. I read it just a moment ago, but I wanna read it to you again, just so you know. In verse five, he's already said, if any of you lack wisdom as you walk through trials, let him ask God who gives wisdom generously to all without reproach, and it's gonna be given to him. Wisdom here is simply God-given discernment regarding the practical issues of life. And these are practical issues of life in the midst of the difficulty of life, which they were facing, which we face. How we hear from people, how we speak to other people, how we respond when things are hard, when things are difficult, how we live our life. Because we do say, you guys say it here at Fellowship Greenville, we say it at Summit Church, Jesus and the gospel really do change all of life. Is that true? Well, if that's true, then it must impact how we speak, how we hear Maybe I could ask it in question form. Over the past few weeks or months, maybe over the course of 2020, have any of you thought to yourself as you have interacted with other people, either in person or online, wow, that person really likes to talk a lot and they seem pretty angry. They seem opinionatedly angsty. Or maybe you've realized over the course of this past year that you're angry. Like maybe if you've done some self-evaluation at the end of 2020, looking into 2021, maybe what you've come to realize as you've heard from the Spirit of God through the Word of God is that you talk too much. That you are actually quick to speak and that you're slow to listen. And that you are opinionatedly angsty. James is so purposeful in this letter he writes to those that he loves. He's not just, and I don't know how you come to scripture when you're studying a book of the Bible, like this isn't just a bunch of stuff thrown out there. I hope something sticks. Let's see, what do I wanna say to them? No, no. There is a Holy Spirit-led train of thought 
that's flowing throughout this letter, one of the major threads throughout these chapters is that, is that these Jewish believers are not simply being morally formed for the sake of moral formation. This isn't about behavior modification from James to these Jewish Christ followers. It's this reminder to them that they're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their steadfastness. They're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their perseverance. They're being spiritually transformed in the midst of their maturing through their love and service of one another, how they treat each other, all in the midst of great trials and suffering. Look back at verse 19 with me. Let's just walk through it. This is what it says. Look at verse 19. Know this. So that's, um, that phrase is a command from James to these early Christians. It's an imperative to understand, to believe what he is communicating. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. So there's just this, I don't believe there's throwaway words here. We're not just throwing out some words. Like there's an intentionality behind this. Just even in those words, my beloved brothers, this is James reminding them that he loves them and he cares about them, right? Don't miss that. I know you can't relate. I know, I know many of you in the room can't relate to persecution that would make you flee, but think about it. You can think about it. You've got an imagination. Imagine persecution that would make you flee this place. And I'm not talking flee to Florida. I mean, flee to another land, somewhere else in the world. You have fled because you're being persecuted for being a follower of Jesus and you're trying to make it in a new place and everything that goes with it. And in the mail or via email, you receive a letter from Charlie Boyd, a word of encouragement, some things I wanna remind you about, right? My beloved brothers, my beloved sisters, he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I appreciate how all-encompassing this is, right? I'll just, we'll go a little slower. Let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be slow to speak. Let every person be slow to anger. As a matter of fact, you can get even more specific. This is what I did for myself as I was studying this. You ready? This is what I did. I went, uh, <clears throat> I inserted my name. Let Jason be quick to hear. Let Jason be slow to speak. Let Jason be slow to anger. I'm gonna invite you to give it a try. I'm gonna be quiet for a moment, just quietly to yourself. Go ahead, put your name in there. Reread it to yourself. Go ahead. Right, isn't that great? It's so good. It's such practical counsel. So what some of you could walk in and you go, Jason, um, things are, I have this conversation with people sometimes. Hey, Jason, things are difficult right now. Things are hard right now. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering. I need godly wisdom to navigate it all. Jason, I could use some godly wisdom in the midst of all the tension and the noise, the angst that seems to be all around me. All right, you ready? Here we go. God says, not Jason says, God says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. 
in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the temptations that dangle in front of you to entice you in the midst of your trials, suffering and pain, because that'll satisfy, but it never satisfies. The wisdom to navigate it all is a piece of it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now, what you might be tempted to say back to me would be, yeah, 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 I know, right? Because we do that, we're really good at that. But guess what? The folks that are reading James's letter to them for the first time, I wanna let you in on a little something, they would have known. What do you mean? I mean, they're Jewish Christians, which means they would have known what the Old Testament had to say about this very thing. A verse like this from Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. What is that? That is them already knowing. That is them already knowing and James still saying and reminding them of what they know, right? I hope you know this about us as pastors, I think Charlie and Jim and the others would say this. I think they would. I know that I would definitely say it. Uh, the call upon my life is not to have you walk into this room and me say something to you that you go, I never heard it. Unbelievable. Right? Like the pressure's off. I am not here to impress you. I am here to remind you of what God has to say. Now you may be newer to the faith. You may uh, be asking questions about God and Jesus. So you may hear us say something that go, I've never heard that before. That's legitimate. But for a lot of you that have grown up in or around the church, you've heard from the spirit of God through the word of God on a regular basis. I'm not here to tell you something new. I'm here to remind you of what is true. When I think of what James is articulating here, I think of the word um, deliberate. A deliberate means careful, thorough consideration. So the, the reason I'm saying that is because quick to hear doesn't mean only listen. Slow to speak doesn't mean never talking, but to deliberately, carefully, thoroughly hear, which has the potential to lead me to deliberately, carefully speak. And the, and, and, and the opposite of that deliberate, careful, and thorough listening and speaking is often anger. If we don't listen well, if we live life determined to be heard most, <laughs> anger is often the byproduct. And we are, and I don't have to convince you of this, you know this to be true, you're living what I'm living. We are living in a time when so many people are not interested in listening. And we are living in a time when everyone wants to be heard most. And their talking is anything but slow. And people are angry. Now, I'm not sure what you think about when you think about the word anger, but we should probably talk about it for just a moment. Whether if you think of it uh, as an action or a reaction, maybe you think of it in this image right here. Maybe you think of an actual person. Some of you grew up around people who you would describe, if someone asked you to describe them, one of the key descriptors would be they were angry. Some of you are described by other people as angry. Like in a moment of honest transparency, some of you, like if I said, give me five words to describe your spouse, some of you might say angry. 
If we ask your kids, describe mom or dad in a couple of words, they might say, angry. Now, I think the most common way people think about anger is like the image up there from inside out, right? These uncontrollable outbursts of frustration. And that's definitely anger. But James, James is actually speaking to the idea of a deep-seated, under the current of your life, maybe just below the surface, wrath, a bubbling rage, being angsty. I think oftentimes for us, um, anger is the evidence maybe of just some distorted loves in our life. So I believe I want this or I need this. Yeah, or I want it to go like this. Or how about this? If people would only see it, whatever it is, like I see it, right? I need you to understand it like I understand it. And when something stands in the way of what you think you want or what you think you need, are people not agreeing with your it, whatever your it is? Anger. I love this quote by Tim Keller, pastor in New York City. He says, anger is often the resulting expression when something we love is endangered. Therefore, an appropriate, often helpful question in the moment of anger is, what am I loving so much right now that my heart is moved to feel angry? It's a great question. I don't know, what you, I don't know if we put that like in a note on our phone and before we scream at somebody, we pull it out and look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's just a great question to consider. I want us to think, of, I do want us to think a little more broadly because some of you are real, you're, you're really good at being uh, quickly dismissive. That's not me, I'm not angry. I do not scream at people. I never even raise my voice. And anger is more than an outburst in a moment, yeah? I think we can acknowledge that. For some, anger is the undercurrent of all of their life and that takes root in a lot of different forms. Oh, what I mean by that is you can be angry and scream at someone, but you can also be angry and never speak to someone. Your anger can be active, your anger can be passive. You can cuss somebody out because you're angry. They've gotten in the way of what you think you need or want or they need to agree with you on. But you can also slander someone because you're angry and they don't agree with your it, whatever your it is. You can go full road rage on the road as you drive because you're angry, but you can also walk through all of life bitter about everything because you're angry. Your wants, your needs, the way you think life should be playing out, that's been thwarted. Some of you in this room have raised your voice in person or via social media and it's obvious that you are angry. Others of you have never raised your voice or posted a thing and you're angry. It sits underneath every minute of every day. 
It's a both and, not an either or. Now, I think a question to consider as I'm looking at these verses is why is James saying this to them even though they already know what the scriptures have to say about it, right? Jason, why would you remind us of this? Why would James remind them of this? Because he knows. He knows that they're walking through trials and suffering. He knows for them life is hard. He knows that in the midst of the trials and the suffering, temptations sit there. And he's encouraging them, don't allow anger to sit underneath every minute of every day. It would be so tempting because life is hard and it's difficult and it's pressing in on you and you don't have all the answers and it's not going like you want it to go. Like that's the practical reminder, the practical wisdom for navigating life. Look back at verse 20. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Like this is so helpful. Like James knows how people think. James knows that people wanna make excuses when they're confronted with truthful <laughs> reminders. He knows that some folks that he's writing, now you may never say it, but he knows the people that he's writing, he knows that they might be tempted to think, but my anger is okay anger, right? James, if you knew my situation, you would understand my response. You would know why I lash out. You would know why I'm constantly angry. You would know why I'm bitter. And underneath that bitterness, right at the surface, is I'm angsty. James, if you knew how hard it was, you would know. I told you that I've pastored for a while, and I have. This is my own personal life, but also I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people through the years. I've always been intrigued at how quickly we can justify our human anger and attempt to put God's stamp of approval on our angst. We're really good at it, unfortunately. James says, our response and attitude towards the disordered loves in our life, our anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not produce living that is pleasing to God. Maybe I can say it this way. Human anger rarely produces the kind of righteousness that is characteristic with the heart of God. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. God is righteous at all times. And while expressing any of his emotions, he's never unrighteous. So question is, can God be righteously angry? Answer, yes. We, however, know very little of righteousness and anger commingling with such consistency. And James knows all three of these issues are interconnected, listening and speaking and anger. He says in verse 21, he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now I love this. This is the best news of everything we've been talking about this morning. Because what I don't want you to think today, and you may be tempted to think, is that you have this heavy burden around your neck of listening more, speaking less, and being slow to get angry in a world that seems so easy to get angry or live angry. Just like these early followers of Jesus, this wasn't about moral behavior for the sake of moral behavior. This wasn't about behavior modification. James reminds those that he loves about what God is up to in their life. 
even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the suffering, even though temptations dangle in front of them. He goes, I want to remind you. I'll give you some practical. Here's some practical advice, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. But this isn't about trying harder to do better because if you come to a service and you ever hear any pastor try to encourage you that's just try harder to do better, then there, there's no gospel in that. There's no gospel motivation in that. I love the terminology he uses. <clears throat> he says, put away or throw aside. Look back at that verse. Put away or throw aside filthiness and rampant wickedness. So it is this imagery of tossing aside like your dirty clothes. And this terminology is actually used in other places in the scripture. And, and most of the time, the follow-up from putting off or throwing aside, most of the time in scripture, the terminology is then to what? To put on. But James doesn't say it that way. And I think he's really intentional. What does he say? He says, throw that aside and receive the implanted word. Now, why would James use those words? I think because he wants to remind them of the one who is producing life change in their life. James doesn't want them to simply think this is about some new behaviors they need to practice. This isn't about a new year, new you. This isn't about 10 steps to the best 2021 you could ever have. This isn't about your best life now. This is about what the word of God is producing in their life. When you read implanted word, in this context, that's referring to the gospel, the regenerating work of the word of the gospel. Receive the implanted word. One author said it this way, the implanted word of the gospel is like oxygen to the Christian. To receive it is to embrace life. To reject it is like choosing not to breathe. So be encouraged. I think this is fantastic news for us today. As we receive the implanted word of the gospel in cooperation with the work of the spirit through the written word of God, we are being shaped. Yes, we are being transformed. Yeah, we are increasingly not easily angered because we're being reminded daily of our true love. It's not about distorted love. As practically as I can say it, this is a piece of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. We're reminded of our first love, the one love that nothing can get between. So guess what? Because I am loved in him, because I am in him, I don't need to shoot off at the mouth. I can actually listen to people. I don't, I don't need to win the argument in a culture that is constantly telling me loudest person wins. I don't need to live angry when things don't go my way, when it's not how I would draw it up. Angst does not have to sit right under the surface of my life. The implanted word is producing the righteous characteristics of the gospel. We're breathing in and living out the realities of the gospel, right? Which are alive in us. This then begins to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So here's the question, who implanted the word? Who provided the life change? Who has altered your life now and for all of eternity? 
If you say to that, Jesus has done that. I remind you, as James reminded these early Christians, receive that with meekness. The word meek is often misunderstood for weak, but it's not about weakness. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Maybe I can say it this way to you. People who are meek are a people who trust God for the outcomes of their life. People who are meek don't have to attempt to grab life by the arm and twist it and manipulate it. People who are meek, they don't have to control, they don't have to control their circumstances in an effort to bend those circumstances towards their preference. Meek people don't manipulate. They don't manipulate other people to get what they want. They need not speak often. They need not be angry because in meekness, in humility, they have received the implanted word because they are loved and cherished by the one who has implanted it and saved their soul. This is my encouragement to this congregation going into 2021. It's no different than the encouragement to the congregation that I pastor at Summit. In this cultural moment, this place and time, your neighborhood, your family, your coworkers, your schools, the places that God in his sovereignty has placed you in all of those places, we should be known as a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry with one another and with a watching world. We're individuals, I get that, but individuals make up this body of believers. And the one thing that is true for everybody, everybody, is that life is difficult and hard. Not all at the same time and not in all the same ways. But the world we live in is broken, yeah? So there's pain and there's suffering. There's trials. You have walked them, you are walking them, you will walk them. But can I lovingly say to you, as a guest speaker who's just gonna drop in and then drop out. <laughs> How you walk through them really does matter. At the end of the day, if there is no discernible, distinctive difference between those of us who walk through suffering with Jesus and those who are walking through suffering without Jesus, then what in the world are we doing? If you're just as angsty, if you've got to win the argument, you know who has to win the argument? People who aren't secure in who they are in Jesus Christ. Because winning the argument is their identity. I gotta be the smartest, I gotta be the wisest, I gotta be the, I gotta, I gotta be the one. 
If you sit here today and you've received with meekness the implanted word, then you are free, my friend. You are free to listen well. That doesn't mean never speaking. I said that, right? But you're free to be slow to speak. You're free from the, the anger and the angst. But if your neighbor looks at you who doesn't know Jesus and is getting the exact same response that they're feeling and processing and the way they're responding, is God so sovereign, is he so with it that your, my, our little story of grace is playing out in this moment in time. You get this, right? You could have lived at any point in time in human history, right? It's not just chance. If all of history is a canvas, the God of the universe so chose that your story of grace would play out in the upstate of South Carolina in the midst of a global pandemic during a volatile election year where everybody's got a whole lot of opinions about a whole lot of different things. Whose story of grace will play out in that moment of time, in that moment of human history? I wanna put Jason and Jen Malone at 228 Bergen Lane. Like, do you believe he's that with it? Because I do. I do. The classes you're a part of, where you go to work, whether it be at home via Zoom or whether it be in the office, in a world that is telling you 24 7 to freak out. You don't have to freak out because you with meekness have received the implanted word and he is changing you, growing you, allowing your story of grace to play out in this moment in time in his grand story of redemption.